What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Brian Costa. And today, guys, we have a ton of stuff to talk about in the sports world. Uh, we're going to get a chance to talk about a sport that uh, obviously is my favorite sport, but is one that we haven't talked about in quite some time, uh, unfortunately. And uh, that's kind of the sport's fault itself. Uh, obviously, I am talking about Major League Baseball. And with that, with with talking major league baseball on the show, I figured I bring back on someone who knows his way around, knows, knows his way around the game. And, you know, you've seen him many times on this show before, and I am so glad to welcome him back on. So from TikTok, from, you know, him so many times in so many other places, he's also now on the walk-off podcast as a host, as a, as a host there. So uh, he's doing, he's making moves all over the place. So without any further ado, please welcome back to the show, Mr. Joel Flam, AKA Hey Kami. Joel, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? You know what? I'm 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 hanging in there. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, I think we the last time we met, I actually just looked it up. Uh, the last time I had you on the show was 65 days ago. That that was it. So uh, when when we ended up doing that, uh, I figured, all right, but by the next time we meet, and hopefully, you know, but closer to spring training time. Uh, we'd have some answers as to what would as to what was going on with Major League Baseball, or at least we'd have a better idea of where uh, of where the situation is. And I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't think I don't think either of those things have happened since we've last had you on. Uh, this thing has been literally the definition of a stalemate the entire time. And man, like what are just some of your initial thoughts on just how this entire situation has played out? Um, yeah, I'm I'm disgusted because it's just like, the, the business I, I put a lot of blame on the on the owners you know yeah. i put a lot of blame on the owners because you had that one span of time was 43 days yeah where they had a chance to give a counter proposal and it went they then they're like uh we don't have one we want to go to an arbitrator yeah and you're like that was 43 days mm-hmm. that was 43 days where you could have sat down and moved something forward like some some aspect of because you're you're, you're misaligned on 10 different issues. So maybe you could have knocked three out over that period of time. No, you just let that time go, which really in my mind, like when I think about it, I feel like compared to 1994, mm-hmm. um, social media is so strong now. Like, Oh my God. Somebody can go out and say something on social media and that is heard by thousands of people. Right. Well, I mean, seemed- I mean, Joel, you're the definition of it. You had you, you've had videos that have gotten close to like, I think, what, four million views at one point was like was like one of your highest like recorded videos. Like, so use me as an example. I'm nobody. And then all of a sudden I'm somebody. Right? No, exactly. No, but I will use you as an example because that's the type of impact that you can have. You can have someone just go on an app and, you know, one day if you say if you say something that enough people will agree with. That's going to get promoted enough and that and people will take notice to that. And I think for baseball, they're still kind of operating in the in that 1994 mindset of, oh, we're we're just so high up on our high horse that, you know, it really doesn't matter what happens. Yeah. And um, what I think, like when you look at the 94 strike, there was a, about a three, 320 day lockout or something. It was it, it, was, it was really bad. long. Mm-hmm. And what what we have now with this situation is. um I think what the owners want to do is they want to subject the players to a few weeks of, um, you know, if, if they go say to April 15th with Mm -hmm. no games, if they postpone games, they postpone two weeks of games, three weeks of games, and then they make the players deal with the fallout from social media. Yeah. Because the owners don't care. Yeah, they're, 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 they're in their like late seventies. They're not on, they're not on social media. And for them, like their self-esteem is, they don't care about that. You, they you don't have care a point. at all about what, a, anything you make about them, it gets 200,000 views. You're a terrible owner. They don't care. They go jump in their Scrooge duck yeah, money vault and exactly. they swim the money and they don't care. They, it doesn't mean anything to them, but mm-hmm. the players, while they're still, like millionaires for the most part, a big chunk of the league are younger players who don't have that big, huge contract yet, who are maybe making league minimum still, or a lot closer to league minimum than they are to making 25 million a season. Mm -hmm. And that, that fallout, that feedback from, from the fans still affects them. Yeah. You know, sitting there and, and 
seeing, say you have a, a TikTok page and you lose 10,000 followers because they're like, why aren't you playing baseball? I hate you now. Right. <laughs> and you start to see that fallout from it. And I feel like the owners want to subject the players to that and see if they will concede and if they will, you know, bend the knee on some of these issues because, you know, the owners are so much better prepared at dealing with that because they really don't care. Yeah, I mean, they have the funds to do it. And obviously, a lot of these players, I mean, you'd look at Max Scherzer, who's going to get $43 million this year if if everything cashes out and, and he was to make his full salary. The man's going to make $43 million. Like, listen, we're not, like, he's not standing in lines at the supermarket, you know, trying to trying to get in with food stamps. Like, this guy is making real, real money. So there's nothing that, you can't actually, like, there's a, there is kind of a give and take with that. It's millionaires against billionaires. So there is that, there is that aspect to it. And I don't know when I look at the MLB lockout uh, it's unfortunately I'm surprised, but I'm also not. And I, I think I'm more surprised because of all the insiders like Jeff Passan over at ESPN. I think he's a great insider, but I remember he went, I remember when he went on the Pat McAfee show and, and, you know, he was asking him and, and was saying, our game's going to get canceled very early on. And Jeff ended up saying, at this point, there's really he thought there's no shot that games are really going to get canceled at this point. He said, I think he said pretty much anything can happen. But in his mind, he thought this was going to be like a one month shutdown. And then, you know, guys, people were going to sort out their sides and everything was going to get back to normal. And I think the reason he thought that is that there wasn't really any true fundamental changes to the game that was going to be happening during this lockout. It was more about numbers. And they thought that the owners and players could just come to a number and figure it out. But at the end of the day, again, money talks. These guys, especially baseball players, I know professional athletes are always going to be, you know, very, you know, I, I hate to say stingy, but, you know, they're going to be very, like, they're going to be very uh, protective of their funds. And if anything comes in their way of that, they're going to respond very negatively. Like, and uh, for from what I know in baseball, that is just amplified to like the nth degree from what I've heard from, you know, news sources and different people like that. So with, when it comes to these guys, I'm just disgusted with the whole, with the whole, with the way this whole thing has gone. And it just flies in the face of the entire purpose of doing this lockout. Anyways, I know that, you know, you want to avoid players going on strike because that's what happened during the 94 season. They didn't, they played without a CBA. And then the player said, you know what, we're sick of this. We're not going to, we're not going to finish this season. So there obviously was a risk to doing it to doing it. But I was thinking back to when this whole thing started and I ended up reading Rob Manfred's uh, letter to the letter to the fans uh, after this happened. And it ended up the last segment of it uh, just kind of goes like this. And it's, it's very ironic now hearing it now. And it says to be clear, this hard, but important step does not necessarily mean games will be canceled. In fact, we are taking the step now because it accelerates the urgency for an agreement with, with, with as much runaway as possible to avoid doing damage to the 2022 season. Delaying this process further would only put spring training at opening day and the rest of the season at risk. And we cannot, and we cannot allow an expired agreement again and to cause an in-season strike and, and missed World Series like we experienced in 1994. We owe all we we all owe you, our fans, better than that. And I'm like, it reads, it seems so hollow now because it's like, oh, this is going to accelerate the urgency. But then again, uh, the main reason we are talking about this is because uh, Jesse Rogers of ESPN comes out and basically says that a spokesperson came out and and claims that. Uh, if they do, if they don't have a new CBA agreement by, by the 28th and, and the, nothing comes in, we are going to miss games and spring training obviously has already been delayed, but if, you know, nothing is happening, if no deal is in, I think it's by Monday, essentially no deal is in, we're missing games this season. And they've already said they're not going to be made up. And they said a deadline is a deadline and there's going to be consequences because of that. And I don't know, coming off of the 2020 season, we lost all those games there. And there was a whole situation then when I think baseball could have played 90 games that season. There, there's a chance they could have played 90 yeah. to hundred games that it wasn't COVID that, that kept it out that long. Baseball could have played in that bubble. It wouldn't have taken them till July. The reason mm -hmm. we didn't get as many games as we did is because of the players and the owners not being able to come to an agreement. hundred percent. Yeah. And um, I, I really feel like there's more at stake. There's more, separation now than there was in 94 yeah um i feel like if you look at what players were making on average uh, mid-2000s i don't think that the needle has changed too much mm -hmm. in the last 15 years 
And in the last 15 years, you've seen a uh, team, um, you know, uh, teams go from the Yankees were a $1.8 billion franchise. Now they're what a $6 billion franchise. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Right. They've, they've, the Yankees from about 1975 to now went from an organization that cost $10 million for uh, Steinbrenner to acquire to being worth $10 billion, yeah. right? It's just, it's, it's insane how much value the teams have gotten, especially with like legalized gambling and everything like that. Oh yeah. That, and, that's just, that's taken it to a whole nother level. Yeah. And, and the fact that the players like, the, the six years don't get me wrong like being a tied to a team for that long and waiting so long to, for free agency especially when you are a sport where you notoriously make the league later than other sports yeah you know a 24 year old rookies 25 year old rookies 26 year old rookies yeah. and then you put six years on the, that and you're a 33 year old free agent and you don't throw the ball 101 anymore now you throw it 97 and, and and your bat speed is is lost a bit at 33 and, and you're your not back, as fast as you were yeah and your back starting to go and you're and nothing you know you're starting to break down physically and you're like oh well why sign that guy long term when there's risks there in his age i can just get him out of here so who cares about the fans we'll yeah. just go grab somebody new and we'll constantly recycle and we'll get rid of we'll get rid of players uh, three years into that yeah. because we know that they're they're worth so much at that point and we can constantly keep like retooling and that doesn't build you, you you can win all the games that you want in Oakland but you know people don't show up too much in the regular season yeah but despite that you're like hey this team is gonna win but I whatever jersey I get that guy might not be in the team in yeah it'll months. be it'll it'll be irrelevant in two weeks exactly like there, there's that aspect to it too. And I, I like how you said that the league is more divided now, now than it was in 94. It absolutely is. And mm -hmm. the other thing that, that is, that, you know, just has me on edge is, and, you know, coming, obviously hindsight is 2020 and we're able to see how baseball was able to recover. Obviously it was because of the steroid era and some of the, uh, some of the, you know, foul play that was going on there, but there was a, but there was an out and was it the, was it a clean out? No, but there was a way that they were able to get out of it. When we come out of this, obviously, a lot of fans have been driven away, uh, both from the COVID season and from this lockout, too, I think, at least casual fans. The diehards will still be there. But I, I do have to wonder, when when they do come out of this, what is the solution that they have in place to say, all right, hey, you know, we know we kind of drove you guys away, but here's the product that we're going to put on the field that's going to that's gonna really bring it back. And I, I, don't, I don't know what that product is. Strikeouts are at an all-time high. I mean, you know, like, it's just not as entertaining as it once was. So I don't know what the real solution is going to be. Um, I, to me, like optimistically, what I see being the solution is that new crop of talent that's yeah. coming up. You know that that group there, Tatis and Guerrero and so. No, I, absolutely. That those guys are going to be are going to be very integral to the game, and I think. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you were going to get on this point with them, but you know, them showing their personality and having baseball become, you know, less rigid and have it become more of a, you know, dynamic and fun, you know, atmosphere. That's what baseball has been missing for so many years. And I know people have always like hammered home. Oh, the unwritten rules, the unwritten rules, a couple of those have to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that I was thinking of was, um, so you had the home run chase, which kind of brought baseball back late yes. uh, not late nineties, right after the after the strike. Um, if you expand the playoffs, okay, if you expand the playoffs, which you know people are talking about sixteen teams and it's being like hockey and you got a team that's below average making you know that, but if you do that, if you expand the playoffs, I think. Expanding the playoffs are going to get so many more people involved because making the postseason is such a big deal in sports. Oh, yeah. It's such a, a cutoff between just watching one postseason game. It feels like you've accomplished something in your season, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I can see them dropping the schedule length from 162 to 156, mm -hmm. um, try to build in a, a few more days off during the course of the regular season. And then if you do that, 
and you slightly tweak the baseballs, similar to the way they were in 2019, then I believe that guys <laughs> like Guerrero and Soto and Tatis might legitimately have a chance at hitting 62 home runs. Yeah. Then that becoming a, a home run chase that is, we're not chasing 74. Mm-hmm. We're chasing 62 and 156. Yeah. And Guerrero hit 48 at 22 years old. Yeah. Without those 2019 balls, with 11 weeks of foreign substance. <laughs> so it's just like, and then Tatis hit 42, 43 in 130 games. Uh, yes, I think so. Right. So, yeah, yeah, because Tatis missed a good chunk of time, too. Yeah. Yeah. He missed a good chunk of time with his, uh, his, his shoulder is popping out of the, the socket there. But, yeah. Um, those guys, uh, Soto with the right in the right environment, like those guys can go after. I don't know. I don't know about Soto because Soto's way more patient. Um, I don't know if Soto's going to be a guy who hits. 55 home runs in any in any given season i mean if um, if you mess around with the baseballs it could be the type of thing where uh similar to the i think it was yeah it was the 98 home run race where you had uh you had sammy sosa and mcguire going at it uh you could almost have juan soto essentially be in that ken griffey jr role because that like going back in the uh you know going back to there it uh, like that home run race originally was like a three-headed monster and people thought mm-hmm. oh 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 griffey is gonna be the guy griffey in this McGuire. race yeah, yeah, until yeah, and, June and Sosa's 20. Yeah, because I, right? I went back and I lost and I watched that uh, long gone summer 30 for 30 and they were talking about it and they thought, oh, it's going to be Griffey and Maguire going at it. And then I think Griffey still finished with 56, which yeah. I mean, that's nothing back to, to scoff back at. 56 home run years. Yeah, clean. I, yeah exa- exactly. That's nothing to scoff at. That's a, no. that's incredible. But I mean, when you compare it to Maguire hitting 70 and then obviously Bonds a couple years later, later hitting 73, like it's it's absolutely mind blowing. But then, so I think, I think that's where Soto could find himself. He could be like that third guy, but could be, mm-hmm. you know, in it at the beginning. I think that's how you could see Soto play out. I don't know exactly what the other two would be. I think it would probably be Vlad. And then I don't know if Tatis will be that will eventually be that, you know, high, that high volume Homer guy. I don't know if he's going to be more average down the stretch, but you know, obviously he put up a bunch when he, when he hit those 40 back, you know, in the limited time that he did. So there is the possibility for that. Yeah. And, and just to think that I know that I would be interested in them chasing 62. Oh, I'd be interested in it. 100%. Right. Like clean. Cause that's never been done clean. Yeah. You know, nobody has ever gotten to that milestone legitimately since Maris. And it would be, it would be a great way to kind of like get Maris's name back in there because a lot of people that's still the single season mark for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And to, to bring it down to 156 would almost make all of those um, extra seasons where, you know, Maguire did three, three times he hit 60. So three times he hit 60. Um, all those seasons would be like considered in the 162 era of baseball that, like, yeah. you know, that existed between 1961 and 2021. It was a 50 year span where they did 162 games. Some of the records were tweaked with, but we're going back to 156. And those records are, they still exist, but at least we've reset them so that in a way we can go after those incredible numbers that seem to grab more attention than a World Series. Yeah. You know? So I I think that might be interesting. Yeah. It it could be interesting. I, again, it's going to be tough because I do agree it'll screw with some numbers. And it's like the inverse of adding an extra game to the NFL season where they added a 17th game this season and people think, all right, well, now all the, like the passing touchdown records are going to be kind of screwed with because the quarterback, you know, breaks the record in like weeks in now week 18, people are going to be like, oh, like, like, how should this count? Uh, the other thing I'm wondering, though, is if they were to go for 62 and they were to get it. I'm wondering if it's going to get the same treatment as do you remember when do you remember when Ichiro ended up breaking Pete Rose's all time hits record, but it was but it was counting his hits from Japan and the MLB. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I knew I know when he broke that, obviously, Ichiro first bout Hall of Famer. I'm not de- not denying that. Whatever. Ichiro is an amazing baseball player. 
But Pete Rose still has all those hits in the MLB, and he still technically is the hit king across Major League Baseball. I'm wondering if, you know, say Vlad was able to go out and hit 62, is it going to be treated like, is it going to be treated like, oh, Vlad's the home run king? Or is it going to be, or is it just going to be like, all right, well, Maguire did it, but there were some, but there were some connotations there. And it's, and it's going to be kind of like that. I know, I know, obviously there was cheating involved, but, you know, Rose obviously was involved in a scandal himself. Yeah. Um, I, I think some people will still hold on to the old numbers is what they are, but I think a group of people will go, that's my king. That's yeah. my home run champion. Similar to Ichiro is yeah. what a lot of people do. Yeah. And and honestly, with Ichiro, if Ichiro would have not had to like, if, if he didn't win seven batting titles in Japan and was just able to come up as a 19, 20 year old in Major League Baseball, he, he would have. Yeah. He would have 4,500 hits. He'd have more hits because they played less games in Japan. Yeah. And he still he had never all. was injured. Yeah. He was never injured. And he wasn't, it's not like at 27. He was way better than he was at 20. He yeah. was Ichiro at probably 18. She was his crap hitter. He was yeah. probably that good at that age. Yeah. And, no, I mean, I mean, again, Ichiro is just an unreal talent. I mean, just to be able to come into the league when he did and just absolutely dominate. That was something that always confused me because I remember I looked back at Ichiro and I, and I ended up saying like, wait, he came in the league at 27, but then realizing how the posting system and all like the stuff in Japan works. And also just knowing like he was dominating in Japan. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, stay here for a little bit but uh you know obviously it does make you wonder if Ichiro came over here like you said at at a younger age and was him at 18 19 you know 20 years old it really just makes you wonder what could he have really been yeah he would have added 1500 hits (laughs) easily I I think so yeah he's got the record for consecutive 200 hit seasons and he started at 27 yeah right he would have he would have gotten a 200 hit season at 21 (laughs) <laughs> 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and then eight more, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, oh. and, and honestly, that's a guy whose career OPS is under 800. And I just, I feel like I am getting to the point where I don't care about analytics anymore. I don't I care just, about, I, I, like, you, you know me, I've never cared about analytics. I think that, I think, listen, again, I think if you're trying to decide what fourth outfielder you should have on your roster, analytics mm-hmm. might have my analytics might be of use to you. And again, if you're a smaller market team and you're really strapped for cash, analytics might be analytics might be something you have to kind of live and die by for a little bit until you get your funds reset. But if you're a big team like the Dodgers, like the Yankees, I'd even say like the Red Sox, they're usually like third in there. Like when you're trying to use analytics to determine, determine like, Oh, should we sign like this big name pitcher? Who's been a, you know, star for years and, and you, and you decide against it because you didn't like the analytics. I'm like, what are you doing? You had this guy like in your lap. Oh yeah. I, I don't see for, for me, it's, it's like, <sighs> but he, but, but, but then again, too, deciding hall of fame stuff too. Again, you can make the case against Ichiro for analytics, but then again, if you saw Ichiro play, you, you know, you know who he is and you know that he is that guy. I just look at the way that, uh, pitchers hated facing him yeah you know um the ability to hit the batting average has just been thrown out the window and, and, and just not respected anymore and um and you look at ops plus yeah and you look at um weighted runs created and it's just like okay you don't care you think on base is so great you think on base is so great what are you putting on base? Are you putting on base Ichiro, who will get to second on a pass ball, every pass ball, who's going to steal second when he needs to steal second, who's on the base paths, a terrifying threat, that if you yeah. make an error, he will take the extra base, no matter what the situation. You make a throwing error, he's taking the extra base. He's always going to take the extra base. If you put Joey Gallo and his 400 on base percentage or whatever it is, it's like, oh, he he's never going to steal second. He's no. never going to take second on a pass ball. He's perfect double play fodder. You know, he's slow. And, and, and so, so you're going to tell me that WRC plus this guy, like him and Bo Bichette, I kept using that example in the yeah, offseason that. that, that Gallo has a higher OPS plus than Bo Bichette with yeah. a well, batting a buck 60 for two months with the Yankees. And it's just like Bo went 25, 26 in stolen bases. 
Every time there's a pass ball, he's, he's taking the extra base. He hit 300. He hit like 298. And you're telling me that a guy who hits 298 is the same that is a guy who hits 200 yeah. because of his walks. And it's just like, what about, what about whip walks, hits per innings pitched? Okay. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that a walk is the same as a hit. If, 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 if a pitcher gives up a home run and a walk compared to a pitcher who gives up a base hit and a walk, their whip is the same. Yeah. Their whip is. So why are we looking at something that just baff, that it's like a home run or, or two walks? You can have two yeah. walks compared to two home runs. Yeah. Well, then the whip is the same. Oh, but you're, you're like, well, go look at Nolan Ryan's 122 career whip. Mm-hmm. Understand that it's all walks. You know, it's all walks because the hits per nine average is like 6.2. Average yeah. is 6.2 hits per nine. And so nobody hits. That's what it's, it's just, I, I look at that stat and you're like, don't use that stat to define somebody. Look at it. Look at him as a pitcher. How many innings does he pitch? That doesn't yeah. matter anymore. It's just like, if you're a 380 ERA pitcher, but you can throw 240 innings, mm-hmm. you're not only a, a, a starting pitcher, but you're, you're 45 innings of pretty solid relief. Like yeah. 380 isn't great relief, but it's innings that, to me, that has so much value, like all of, all of those aspects. And you're just like, no, his uh, ERA plus is uh, 137. Who gives a damn? <sighs> I, no, exactly. No, I, I, I do agree with you. And I think it's fu- I, I find it funny that you mentioned Joey Gallo. He's actually someone that I wanted to talk with you about because he was he actually obviously while there hasn't been a ton of, uh, you know, you know, big, big moves in baseball. Obviously, free agency is paused. Uh, Joey Gallo's name actually did pop up in the news the other day. And, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, reason a lot of people are pissed with this walkout is because uh, or lockout rather is that they're not really talking about a lot of changes to the game. It's more just again, it's just about the numbers and about how much money, like how much money they should be able to spend versus make. And there's like just all those questions there. But Joey Gallo ended up coming out just the other day on CBS Sports. And, you know, there was an article about him and he, he ended up, you know, obviously he, he comes out and, you know, Joey Gallo, prominent left-handed hitter, power hitter for the Yankees. And he ends up saying, hey, listen, I think it's time to ban the shift or make some changes to it. And his quote on it, to be exact, uh, he basically said, at some point, you have to fix the game a little bit. And I, I don't know, I want to get your thoughts on, on this because the idea of fixing the shift is something that I guess has been coming down the pipe for a, for a while now. Uh, I was listening to sports radio just the other day. And I heard that I heard that since since 2013, teams are shifting nine times as much as much as they used to. And that that's the jump that we've seen in less than a decade. And I, I I'm typically a, I like the idea of the shift because I'm just like, all right, you free up a part of the field where you could, you know, if you want if you're a left handed hitter and you want to bunt it down that third baseline again, you have the ability to do that. I I'm personally against getting rid of the shift, but Gallo comes out and he says this. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on just like getting rid of the shift and, you know, or at least modifying it in some capacity? Um, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to think about yeah. changing how that you defensively align yourself because when five years ago, I would have been like, no, you can't ban the shift. You know, yeah. that's, you, you just turn your swing around and, and hit the ball to third base, you know, like, and, and we're, we're not even talking about – you bunt the ball, you get a base hit. You choke up and you hit a eight hopper to third base and it goes for a double. Yeah. Right? I, like I, you, I, 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 remember, I remember back in 2013, oddly enough, I remember Nelson uh, – uh, no, not Nelson Cruz, uh, Robinson Cano, rather, uh, Yankees. It was Yankees-Red Sox. And he, en- he ends up bunting it down the third baseline. And, and, and it wasn't a good bunt by any means. This thing was like – this. If there was a third baseman there, it, he would have literally had been able to just stand there and catch it, but it went li- right where the third baseman wasn't, and he ended up getting a double out of it. So, yeah. yeah. It's just um, hitters have not – hitters have not – they're dead pull. Lefties, yeah. lefties especially are dead pull. Yeah. And um, – Not everyone's Rod Carew where you're able to – where he's yeah. able to just send it the other way. And Tony Gwynn, like that doesn't exist anymore. And how exciting 
is what was a player like Tony Gwynn to watch. We don't, we, 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 we take the joy in the most exciting players being the guys who, who can put, uh, you know, a pimp walk on their, on their swing now. And and they got the swagger when they hit the home run, but Tony Gwynn would strike out 25 times a year. And every, his outs were exciting. His outs were exciting because they yeah. were, you had to make an amazing play to get him out. Yes. And that is so limited now on watching a guy strike out, but he's swinging for the fences on two strikes mm-hmm. and you're still shifting him. You're, you're, you get to, t- you take your two swings to try to pull one and jack one out and you get to two strikes and they're still shifting you <laughs> and you still strike out. Yeah. You don't cut your swing down to just like, I'm just going to handle something over there. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it comes off the bat. We're so obsessed with exit view. Mm-hmm. It's got to come off the bat at 108 miles an hour, because if it does, then there's a 700 batting average attributed to it. It's like Tony like- Gwynn never hit the ball 117 miles an hour, but he had a 330 career batting average because he knew where to hit the ball. Yeah, exactly. You know? it, it doesn't and- matter if it comes off the ball 60 miles an hour. If it's, if it's in a spot where the guy isn't, you're going to be able to get on. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, and I was, I was going to say that like nowadays where we're so obsessed with the offensive production of a player, where we will take a little bit of a hit on their defensive ability. Players don't attack defensive weakness. Yeah. When there is so much more defensive weakness, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many. No, absolutely. Shifted players. There are so many players who are dependent on that. So many players who are playing a position that 15 years ago, they wouldn't be playing that position because they figured that that position was way too defensively important, but now they do. And you can rip the, you know, Tatis can rip 30 errors at shortstop. Now it doesn't matter because he's going to hit 45 home runs. Well, why not test that defensive weakness? Why not? Yeah. You know, when I get to two strikes, I'm going to hit a ball in the hole and see if you air mail it and I'll be on second. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's something that you could at least test out. And I do, I do kind of agree with you. There aren't really any players anymore that kind of have that Tony Gwynn kind of approach or, you know, a Rod Carew kind of approach. Uh, the only guy that, again, I might be biased here because I'm because he plays in Boston, but. Uh, I was listening to the broadcast uh, last year and I think it was Dave O'Brien and I, I think Remy was still on. I think he, I didn't think he hadn't gotten to treatment yet at the time. And one guy that they pointed out that they think that they think kind of plays more old school uh, was Alex Verdugo. And okay. yeah. And you know, he has, he'll, he'll, he'll send the ball to the opposite opposite field a number of times. I mean, he can still put it out, but uh, you know, I think, I think during his first year in Boston, they tried to like turn him into like this launch angle guy. They tried to do the same thing with Andrew Benintendi when he came in. I think that's why he struggled a lot. Then you saw him go to Kansas City. I hit, I think he hit like 280 this year. He had a much better and more productive season because I think he went back to his old approach of saying, Hey, I'm not trying to like be like this launch angle guru. I'm just going to try to get on base the way I know how. And Verdugo, I wouldn't say is similar to Benintendi in that, like in terms of play style. But they they're not launch angle guys. They're able to just, you know, they're able to just, you know, hit hit line drives and get on, you know, you know, the old fashioned way and and play like that. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if Verdugo is going to be, you know, like the star power that Tony Gwynn was. I mean, he's 25 years old, so he still has years to figure stuff out. But you are right. It is it is few and far between nowadays. I was going to say, um, uh, like. Freddie Freeman is probably the the best example of a guy who can consistently still hit 300. And if you look at his approach in batting practice, it's, you know, it's left center. Mm -hmm. It's left center. It's, it's, it's everything is going, you know, 10 feet over the shortstop's head in, in back in batting practice, because he, he needs to be, because if he can handle the away pitch, he knows he can pull. Yeah. You know, no, he I mean, can get a ball over it, the inner half and pull it, no we, problem. We've seen it so many times, but honestly, yeah, probably Freddie Freeman, probably as a superstar, is the closest, like from a star perspective, is the closest in play style to those guys. I, I'd say so because because a pure hitter, right? Just will hit the ball to all fields, has power to all fields. I mean, and, and like, his li- swing to me is designed for yeah, it's designed for left center. Oh yeah, no, literally in my mind, I can think of Freddie Freeman just shooting one of the opposite field and getting on. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's something that you can just think of him doing 
I mean, I can't think of Joey Gallo doing that. And that's the other thing too. Like when David Ortiz came out and he ended up saying, I think I could hit, I think I could have hit 300 against the shift. I'm like, okay, like that, that's a fair point. Cause David Ortiz is probably the greatest DH of all time. If, and, and if you don't want to go and maybe say Edgar Martinez, I know there's some debate with those two, but I, I like to say David Ortiz is the greatest DH of all time with Joey Gallo. He just led the league in strikeouts last year. So I'm mm. like, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. But at the same time, I think you have bigger problems on your hand than just the shift. I know that I know that's something that's weighing on your mind, but it, that didn't cause you to whiff at three pitches. He, I think he had between strikeouts and walks. I think he had a 325. I'm going to guess. I think he, I think he also led the league in walks as well. Yeah. 325 walks and strikeouts. Yeah. Okay. That means you're not touching the ball. 325 plate appearances. Yes. 300, he had 90 hits. Yes. The guy maybe had 95 hits, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like to me that you're not even a hitter at that point. No, I you mean, know, you're not trying to hit. You're, you're, you're trying to get a home run. Yeah. All the time. Your his, his home run percentages are like, I think he hit 36, 37 last year. I'm, this is just off the top in of my tw- head. Of in 2021, Joey Gallo had 99 hits, 99 hits. Mm-hmm. How, in, how that's, 99 hits and 300 times you either struck out or walked to first base with no speed. He's only had a hundred hits once in his career. It was in 2018. He had 103. Now he's better than Bo. He's, but I want, I want him more. Than <laughs> yeah. I want him more than the guy who led the league in hits hit 290. Uh, speed home runs, doubles, most foul balls in baseball. Yeah. Is what Bo has. Like Bo gets to, uh, Bo's got a, a an approach at the plate where he kept he cuts his leg kick away when he gets the two strikes. Yeah. So he's got this big booming leg kick to try to like jump on pitches when oh, he yeah. doesn't have two strikes. Gets to two strikes, the leg kick goes away, and he's trying to flare stuff to the opposite field, and that's yeah. why the guy is going to hit three hundred. Yeah, because no, he's a I mean, hitter. Yeah, he has a exactly. Non two strike approach and a two strike approach. That's mm-hmm. all I'm asking these guys to do. Is yeah. have a two strike approach. That's, that's it. Like, uh, that's died. I don't have say- two strike approaches anymore. I'm not saying to stop hitting home runs because at this because I mean listen, I love home runs. I love yes. I love I love seeing guys jacking out of the ballpark and like just you absolutely two swings for that. Yeah, I, I love seeing that. No strikes. You see one that you think you can get at, take a rip at it. All you got, put everything yeah. behind it. You got you got absolutely. one strike. You see another one that you think you can handle. Put everything you got Go in it. Now Go you got two nuts. strikes. If you, if you swing and miss now, nothing can happen. Yeah. Okay. So cut that swing down, uh, you know, come a little bit closer to the plate. If you think that he's getting you away, you know, cover the plate a little bit better. Fight off Turn the junk. Around. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but no, no swing is swing harder yeah. on your, on two strikes. Swing. Try to hit an even bigger home run. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's still worth the same amount if it goes out. Like, I'm, I'm like, why are you swinging harder at it? So, uh... you watch. I, I think about the previous generation and how they would react to the way that hitters come up to the plate with two strikes, and they're, mm-hmm. they've got a runner on third base and two outs, and you just need a dying quail. You just need something to dribble through the infield. You just need to make, just need to put a ball in play. Strike three, you're gone. Uh, hell, they'd be watching. They'll watch one. They'll watch the away like fastball that's like you know six inches up and it's away, but they can't pull it. Yeah. So oh strike, and they'll watch it, and you're just like, what is this? A backwards K on a fastball. And and again, just let me say this straight up. I again I love the home run. One of my favorite clips that that I was seeing going around on TikTok, it was uh Josh Donaldson when he was back on MLB network, and he, he ended up saying. If your coach, if your coach tells you don't hit the ball up, tell him no. And then it just flashes yeah. back to him heading an absolute bomb at Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I, I remember that too. Yeah. If you're if you're if he's telling you not to like go full out on a tell him no and just do it. And just yeah. Yeah. I was like, so I mean, I mean, I I I I do appreciate that, but at the same time, you know, you do at least have to have again, I think just having some semblance of a two strike approach is all we're asking you these guys again we're not asking you to like we're not we're not trying to send this thing back to the dead ball era no no um and i i to me uh a number five hitter 
is what that is for. Like that's yeah. why you've got a guy on the team who is in the five spot. He's he's an all or nothing guy. Yep. Right now, everyone's a number five hitter. Everyone one, is all or nothing guy, every swing. One guy who I think really epitomized that. I'm thinking back, at least for my sake, with the 2013 Red Sox was obviously at the top of the lineup. You had Jacoby Ellsbury as your leadoff guy. Then it went Shane Victorino as your switch hitter, but then became the righty towards the end. Uh, Dustin, Dustin Pedroia, who's your average guy? David Ortiz in the four hole to hit a grand slam and then, you know, celebrate everything there. And then, you know, obviously in the five spot, you had Mike Napoli who oh, literally yeah. in my, in my, in my mind is the definition of an all or nothing guy. And it would piss yeah. me off sometimes because I would see him swing out of his shoes. But then the other half of the time I would see him absolutely lift one o- over the monster. Oh yeah. He, Mike Napoli would pepper the center field restaurant and oh, yeah. Rogers center. He did like 460 foot bombs. There's some of the biggest home runs I've ever seen. From oh that yeah. Guy. And, but, but yeah, it's like everybody kind of became Mike Napoli and you're like, it's good to have one Mike Napoli on your team. Oh yeah. It's good to have, because it's, to me as a building a lineup, I like all my hitters, like uh, Chicago does a good job of this. Mm. Chicago has great lineup diversity, the White Sox. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, they've got Luis Robert who can do a little bit of everything. They've got Yasmani Grandal, who's the on base guy. They've got the switch hitters. Um, They've got Tim Anderson, you know, they've there's there's diverse that Jose Abreu, the big RBI guy at first, like you've, you've classically built your offense, Eloy Jimenez, your big corner power hitting outfielder. You've you've got a nice range there. I, I'm actually sad that they got rid of Nick Madrigal mm. because Nick Madrigal is the one guy who <laughs> actually is still like this. He's yeah. still like the players from that older era. He's contact 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 and like they didn't what was the trade white Sox to cubs for nick match it wasn't yeah they didn't they didn't come away with some math was it for kimbrell yeah i think it might have i think he was part of the deal because like to me i just like i as a gm i'm i want nick madrigal on my team i want nick madrigal hitting 300 with a 770 ops but you can't get him out. You, he's, you can't strike this guy out. He's yeah. going to make contact and he's, his at-bats are going to go long and the pitcher's going to get frustrated. And I just, I want that. I want an, an at-bat, like an 11, 12 pitch walk to then lead into my power hitter. Yeah. And no. then and the power hitters up and he's, and he's like, I just had an 11 pitch walk. I'm going to put something over here to get ahead Two run goal two run bomb, right? Like exactly. It's, it's, it's about how your style sets up someone else. It's about, it's, you just can't go OPS chasing like the Yankees, because I think that that has created some, just you, the Yankees and the fact that they're pretty much in a position where they have to re-sign Aaron judge. They have to. Yeah. That's the guy that everybody loves there. Oh yeah. But they have Stanton. And they have, you know, Voigt and they have Sanchez. My and dad it's like they hates that. Luke Voigt with a passion. He <laughs> hates that guy. And it's not even like my dad isn't even like like he, he'll root for the Red Sox, but he didn't grow up a Red Sox fan. He, he grew up on Long Island, was a Mets fan. But like he doesn't hate him by, by the fact that he's on the Yankees. He just can't stand Luke Voigt. <laughs> like if, <laughs> Luke, if Luke Voigt was on the Mariners. He'd hate Luke Voigt. It wouldn't matter. <laughs> like I, and I don't know what it is, but I think it's just like sim- like that kind of similar approach where it is kind of an all or nothing. And he, he's just like, what? Like, how is this guy in the majors? I used to, uh, I, I used to laugh at uh, Daniel Vogel back. Oh, and, yeah. And Luke Voigt. And I used to call them Vogel Voigt because <laughs> I wanted them to like merge into one big no neck thing, you know, just. Those guys just remind me of the same guy because they're just just big. Oh yeah, you just go go, but they're just flexing, just trying to belt one. Oh, I love that's. Oh yeah, no, I mean absolutely. Ah, but I don't know. Like I think, I I think the way you said it best though. What like one one of the things that we can agree upon is that we want to see something similar. We we want to see a bit of a. We want to see a little bit of uh, everything. We want to see kind of a. Uh, the best of both worlds. We want to see the passion of this younger generation coming up uh, be infused into baseball, but we also want to see some of the, you know, traditional aspects that made the sport fun 
you know, try to make their way back into the game. Oh. Harkening on, you know, harkening on going back in, you know, into the previous generation, uh, there's some news that the MLB has uh, has come out, and they're actually, uh, you know, obviously we had the Field of Dreams game during uh, last summer, and that was obviously a ton of fun. Uh, probably one of the best games of the year, if not the best and most exciting game of the year, uh, was an awesome game to witness on TV. Uh, but what I kind of, what I kind of am, what's uh, some news that's coming up is that the MLB is exploring a field of dream style game at some historic Negro league stadiums around, around the United States. So obviously back, uh, I think it was during last summer, the MLB came out and basically said, Hey, uh, all, all the Negro league stats are now official, uh, baseball stats. They will now be counted, uh, as MLB stats. And, you know, now Jackie Robinson's uh, stats with, with the, I think it was the Kansas city clowns. What, what was it? Uh, monarchs monarchs yeah. Mon- it was, yeah who who were the clowns again where, where did they play the clowns uh, i'm trying to think of the negro team called the clowns yeah there was a, um, there, there was a team called the clowns I'm trying to think uh trying to think like i've got uh, like I, I know that 50 percent of the teams were called the giants in the indianapolis clowns that's who they were okay yeah, okay so, so that that's who they were, but no, it was the Kansas City Monarchs. I I, I always used to get those two confused because uh, of like alliteration and stuff like that. Uh, but no, so I like Jackie Robinson stats now count towards that. So he has an extra a, a couple extra hits and home runs. Uh, you know there were a lot of things that came in there. So obviously the MLB is now recognizing this as part of their history and they want to go out and explore that. And it's it's very interesting. So uh, I mean, obviously, what are your thoughts on them trying to do more more games at these kind of stadiums in the future? No, I, I love I love the trying to touch upon the, the Negro Leagues because that was 30 years of like a, a terrible black eye on the sport, forcing black people not being able to play. But at the same time, Negro League Baseball became one of the biggest black owned businesses in America. I believe yeah. it was the second or the third biggest industry that was African-American owned during that time and like rube foster if you're going to go back to the dates the or the 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 names that really like rube foster deserves probably like his own day yeah you know he founded that league um he um he created the screwball Mm -hmm. i believe the screwball was his invention the fadeaway pitch i think Um, so and he to to be that like empresario type figure in Negro League baseball between like 1910 and 19 the late 1930s like that that is for, for for as much as Jackie did being the player to break the color barrier for Rube to literally create a league that uh, that then became recognized by Major League Baseball as a another form of Major League Baseball yeah, it, like, it's like, that's... It, it's it's no longer like like it's no longer like oh like this was just like like it like the Japanese leagues are never going to be recognized as Major League Baseball because it mm-hmm. is separate. There are some differences in rules, but with with Major League Baseball, they're they're recognizing hey, this happened in the United States. We have there were there were there were rules in place and and certain segregation laws that barred certain play, players from the league for many years, and we the, we had some great players in this league, and they faced legitimate real competition and they mm-hmm. should be recognized for that so i'm glad that they were able to do that and I, i'm interested in some of the stadiums that they're going to do this with so uh i guess the current stadium that a lot of people are looking at would be uh, i guess it's called hinchliff stadium and it's in patterson new jersey and i guess at the time it was home to the uh, new york black yankees and the new york cubans and i guess that i guess that's the favorite for a field to have right now and i kami i showed you before the uh, episode and unfortunately, you know, just time has, uh, you know, not really been not really uh, been fair to this field. And it's kind of just very dilapidated right now. It's not in a it's not in good shape at all, especially if to host a baseball game, especially at the major league level. And I guess they're going to be having a 90 million dollar renovation of this place. So uh, unfortunately, if you do look at pictures of this field, which we did, it's going to need every single penny of that 90 million dollars to get this thing in shape. It's in rough shape, to say the least. Uh, another field that I heard was thrown out was uh, it's in Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. And I think this actually could, could be a much more interesting place to do a game because similar to putting the game out in Iowa to what they did with the Field of Dreams game, putting a game in Alabama, there really aren't too many uh, 
there really aren't too many baseball teams that that you know are near that market. And I think you know, obviously, in, you're in New Jersey, you're near you're near the Yankees, you're you're near the Mets and all those teams. I think putting it, I think kind of going to another place in the country where you know Major League Baseball rarely touches and playing a game there. I think I wouldn't mind seeing a game there. No, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I'm surprised. I know you want to do the All Star Game in front of fifty thousand people and, yeah. and get the ma- maximum amount of receipts there as possible, but like it would be it would be nice for for them to find a way to put the All Star Game in a more special place than just a, a standard stadium. Yeah. Not that the stadiums aren't beautiful and, and we want to tour them around because like major league baseball stadiums are great, but like just being able to watch that um, field of dreams game and seeing balls go into the, into the cornfield and, and the production. Oh, this. All right. I think, uh, so, okay. Sorry about that. Just had some technical difficulties. Wanted to restart that, but uh, uh, go on. Yeah, I was I was saying on my TikTok channel, I touched on like a Sandlot style game where that it, it would be interesting that uh, have a <laughs> kind of like the movie The Sandlot where one team pulls up on their on their bicycles and you know the the other team is kind of scrappy looking and it would it would be interesting to do a just throwback games to a completely different style. Oh yeah, and, no, I mean I'd love to see something like that. Unfortunately, I think they were planning to do the Field of Dreams game during 2020. And I wish they, you know, with COVID, I know that, you know, pushed a lot. I know that caused a lot of problems. Looking back on it, I really wish they had done the All-Star game and they had done it at the Field of Dreams stadium because you don't need to have fans out there. You could have had a very limited production crew. Obviously, you would have had to have certain precautions in place, but you could have done, you could have had, you could have had all the players walk out of the cornfield, do all that. And I think that would have been a really cool thing to have had, especially during the lockdown that we had. Well, it's just wild to think that baseball has that, like no other mm-hmm. sport can really have a field of dreams game because yeah. no other sport has field of dreams as like a movie that touches all the fans. And, uh, yeah. but like for, for the Negro league stuff, like <sighs> the only thing I could think of that you could do for another sport would be have, uh, the Indiana Pacers, uh, play at, but play at Butler and have them in the Hoosiers jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. That would work. Uh, That's the uh, the only thing. That's the only other thing I could think of that you could do, which would be kind of cool. But that, I I don't know that, that did just come to mind. I mean, maybe a mystery Alaska game mm, where they they go up into Alaska and play a hockey game with some mountains in the background. That would be, that, that would be sick. That actually would be a lot of fun, but uh, I don't know. You know, obviously a lot, there's a lot of differences in what could happen with these stadiums, but uh Obviously, these stadiums are historic, and they hopefully they do get the justice that they need. Uh, I I think it is time now to you know in talking about stadiums, I do want to transition to something now over in the NHL. Obviously, we had a lot of great MLB talk, but while we are on stadiums uh, with you, Joel, I want to talk to you about this uh, Arizona Coyotes uh, stadium. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, I, I'm not the biggest hockey guy. I uh, you know I, I like the Chance the Rapper version. Uh, you know, quote that he says on Saturday Night Live when he plays the uh, hockey reporter and he ends up going, uh, let's do that hockey. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like, and it's like, yeah, I have no, sometimes I really have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, I'll root for the Bruins in the postseason. I hope they kill it. But at the end of the day, if you ask me about what a blue line is, I mean, you might as well tell my family I love them. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. But so, but I ended up seeing this trending on TikTok and it's gotten a lot of flag. So the Arizona Coyotes come out and apparently they announced that they, they announced a partnership with Arizona state and they, they announced that they're going to play in a 5,000 seat arena for all the great hockey fans of Arizona. And man, this is embarrassing. This might be the most embarrassing excuse for a professional team in North America that that I think I've ever seen 5,000 seats. And I think, I think ownership said, yeah, it's going to be packed. And I'm like, yeah, you just have to like tell like the local college students that you might be having like a meal deal thing like there, tell them they're going to get a couple extra dining dollars and they'll show up. I mean, it's not going to take much for these guys. Like this whole, I mean, this is embarrassing. What I mean, as a hockey fan and you know, I know you, I know you love the sport much more than I could ever. Uh, What are your thoughts on just something like this happening? Well, and it's like a long-term thing, right? Like it's, this is—it's—it's it's for the next three years. I yeah, no, that's that's a joke. 
Yeah, no, it listen, if your stadium like had some malfunction and said, Hey, we just gotta like we just gotta play on like this ice for like a little bit while our stadium is getting fixed. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't blame you for having to, you know, you know, have to deal with something in the temporary. You signed a deal to purposely do this and to purposely play in the stadium. And I mean, at that point, why are you even trying to, you know, have hockey in Arizona at this point? It obviously isn't working. They rank towards the bottom of the league in, in, in attendance annually. I mean, like what, for like the past five or six years, they've either been last or like, or like close to it. And, and they've never put a competitive team out there for so long. No, they've not been a competitive organization in, in so long. So it's just like you're, you're, you're pretty much financing your 30th place team to be 30th. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I mean, it's fitting because you do, I mean, there is the point where you're accepting your defeat, but at the same time, I feel like you should be looking to try to get more fans in the arena instead of just accepting, oh yeah, we're only going to get 5,000. So might as well pack the house. I, um, there's at least up here. Uh, in Canada, there is so there's such a market like, we oh, could, yeah, you could put a third NHL team in Alberta and it would probably do just fine. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what you do, but um, uh, like a, a Quebec could handle it. Yeah, I think I think Atlanta, yeah, which I'm, I'm, had a team previously. And yeah, I yeah, think they, they could probably get another chance and, and would do well if they had the right, you know, ownership group there. There's yeah. a lot of places does, like Seattle. Yeah, it makes me wonder. Well, Seattle just well, got Seattle just got their new team, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, they just, just shows got, you that. Yeah, so you can, there are there are markets available. I mean, I'm surprised that Vegas was as successful as a, of a market as it was for hockey. I mean, so they made I, it I something know. else. They made it into a show. You know, yeah. they really made it Vegas hockey. So, yeah. so I mean, you can turn hockey and not have it and not have to be like you know like a bunch of you know Boston and you know people from Boston and Minnesota and Canada. You know button heads with chip te- with chip teeth like it doesn't need to be that for everyone you can kind of have it be a show for wherever you go but so it just makes me wonder yeah like you mentioned atlanta uh do you bring back the quebec the quebec nordiques do you bring back the atlanta thrashers another market i've heard thrown around too is houston i think that could be a success there i think that actually could be a really good market but i don't know man all i know is that hockey in arizona i mean listen the heat the heat doesn't work out there anyways it's a terrible like i mean I think the last thing I'm thinking about when I go to Arizona is, oh, where's where's the nearest ice rink? Like yeah, that does, just, that, that doesn't come to mind. I, I, I go to Arizona, I'm probably more interested in watching NASCAR. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I it's just not hockey. Would anonymous? Hockey is literally the furthest thing from my mind. If I was in Arizona, I, I couldn't think. I don't think I could think of something I would. I there is probably nothing I would think of less. Yeah, I um, and there's just there are just the fact that it's long term makes no sense to me. It's just, yeah, to me, that's the final straw is is like, okay for the rest of the year, we're going to have to go to a 5000 person stadium. But like the next year, we're moving. you. Yeah. Next year you're gone. We're not, we're not, I can understand that. Like, like, I remember when the 49ers, I I know, I I know you don't, I know typically it's kind of a faux pas to kind of cross sports uh, when talking about them. But uh, you know, when the 49ers had to deal with COVID, it was like, all right, we're going to go play in the Cardinal stadium or when uh, you know, trying to think there were, Oh yeah. And then obviously with the bubble, it was like, all right, we got to go play in like this gym in Orlando. Like we can understand certain circumstances that forcing these situations. But then again, yeah. Like if, if it was like, all right, because your attendance is so bad and we don't, we hate the optics of it. We're going to put you in this stadium. And then afterwards, yeah, we're, you're going to move. But the fact that they're agreeing, Hey, for the next three years, this is going to be hockey in Arizona. It, it's just embarrassing. You're playing in a shoebox. Think, think about the money. Yeah. Think about the money. The money is 10,000 fans a game are not coming. Yeah. Where somewhere else they would be. And you're going to do it for three years. So you're going to do it for 123 games. 123 games times 10,000 fans is what you're missing out financially. Oh my God. That's a, that's what kind of business model is that move the team? That's a, that's how much money, how much money is that's millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. And you're just like, whatever, not to mention um, all of the uh, merchandise that you're going to sell, not to mention all the food that you're going to sell, not to mention all the people that you can, you're, you can't even properly employ a, 
a crew to work that arena because it's 5,000 people. So you're not employing as many people to like every other stadium has 15,000 people that they need to deal with. So all those concession stands are open. All those uh, custodians are required. Like you need people to run a 50,000 person stadium. Oh, now we can cut that down and we don't like what, why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The only, the only upside I can see is that again, this is a partnership with Arizona state. So, uh, you know, maybe if the Coyotes are are semi decent, which they're not going to be, but no. you know, if if they if they even you know if they're capable of winning some hockey games, uh, maybe there's a chance that you're able to draw in. Uh, I don't know how well you know like the Arizona State crowd, but uh, they they can be kind of a rowdy bunch. Uh, they when uh when alcohol and other substances are involved, I know that's with any college, but I, I've I've heard many stories about Arizona, so I I about Arizona State, so I think that uh they they could be they could as 5000 fans they could make it seem like 15000 uh, very quickly if if yeah. certain uh if certain things go their way yeah if they, granted they turn it into a college environment it's wild and crazy with 5000 people and the you know it's loud but you know why isn't there a hockey team in milwaukee i don't yeah. know no, we exactly. got the Brewers and the Bucks. Why can't that, that's a nice northern city? You think they like hockey up there? I, I mean, you'd have to assume so. But then again, you might actually. Yeah, no, you probably you make a good case. I don't know why they why they haven't tested out other markets. I mean, obviously this one isn't working, but uh, we're just gonna have to see what what ends up happening from there. Uh, that is all as fans for the most part that we usually can do. So. Uh, obviously, uh, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show, but unfortunately we are now down to the wire, which means that we're going to wrap up everything we talked about in this episode and send you guys on to your weekend. Uh, obviously welcome back on Joel Flim, AKA Hey Comedy, the show. Once again, Joel, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it was great, Brian. It was, it, time just flew by. That was, that was an hour and a half. And it just... I, it's crazy. How, it's crazy how quick how quick it can go by. And we were able to talk about a great number of topics. Uh, we talked about the MLB uh, possibly having to cancel regular season games if they do not have a decision by February 28th. This episode is being recorded on February 25th. By the next time I record an episode, I will have a very different reaction. Either one of two ways. It's either going to be very happy and it's going to be like, hey, baseball's coming back, or it's going to be. Hey, uh, where does Rob Manfred live again? Uh, just a quick question. Uh, so I don't know. We're going to have to see what happens there. Hopefully some sort of resolution can happen. But at the end of the day, it's it's Major League Baseball. And I, I, I think I know where this is going to be going on Monday, uh, as, as do you, Joel. Uh, after that, we talked about Joey Gallo coming out and saying that the, uh, the shift needs to have some adjustments. And uh, it's time for the game to be fixed a little bit. I think that that's a little... Uh, I think that Joey Gallo has other problems on his hands, you know, leading the league in strikeouts and all, but who, who, who knows? Uh, after that, we talked about the MLB exploring field of dream style stadiums uh, at Negro league stadiums. Obviously the MLB made, made a, uh, made great strides in now legitimize legitimizing the Negro leagues as part of their uh, as, you know, as, as major league baseball. So there's some interesting topics to, you know, look at there. And finally, we ended things off by talking about the Arizona coyotes and their comedically, I mean, and I, I say comedically, like wholeheartedly, just tiny stadium. I mean, for a professional sports franchise, this is embarrassing. I, I like it. It looks about as small as the gym that my listen. I'm at a D1 school, but we I'm at a very like D, very small like Division one school. We have a great baseball program, great great this, great that. But for basketball, we have a very small gym. It's going to be packed tomorrow because we're competing for our uh, we're competing for our conference championship. But it, I mean, it's embarrassing. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, hockey gets out of Arizona fairly soon, but we'll have to see how that goes. But if you're not following down the wire at this point, what are you guys doing? We're available everywhere. You guys can find podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all that good stuff. The we For the video stream, you can also find us on YouTube. And for live shows, when we typically do it on the radio, you will listen in at WJMF 88.7 HD2 Smithville Providence or WJMFradio.com. We typically do our live shows on Wednesdays and Fridays from 7 to 8. But for any updates regarding the show, please visit our Instagram at down.tothewire on Instagram. Again, at down.tothewire on Instagram. Joel, I'll throw it over to you real quick for any shout outs that you want to give before we head off. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just check me out at um, Hey Tommy right there on uh, TikTok. You're doing baseball videos all the time, even 
in the lockout with nothing to do. I think we talked about how uh, Tony Gwynn uh, only struck out three times against uh, Glavin and Smoltz and uh, Pedro Martinez and Greg Maddox. So uh, that was just stuff like that. Just trying to fill time until ah. we get some resolution in the baseball season. Uh, I've got a movie that's in production. And uh, hopefully next time I come on the show, uh, I will be able to tell you where you can go and watch that. So yeah. that's that's another thing. Yeah, I know. I know we I know we were going to talk about that more during this show, but hopefully uh, the next time we have you on, there is some uh, bigger news involving that. So obviously, yeah. thank you guys so much for watching. And from down to the wire, I'm Brian Costa. I'm Hey Kami. Joel and, we'll, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Have a great weekend and peace out.